0: The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and TheDealWithYield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Kyle Reiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor, and Joel Whipperford, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead, Joel, we understand you were recently a judge in an international drone competition. Tell us about the experience.
1: Well, the experience kind of came out of this issue facing agriculture that we're trying to collect information on the fields. And obviously, you know, some days it's cloudy. You can't get a satellite image. And certainly if you want to run a model, you need a ground truthing event. And so drones seem to be lagging in this one particular area of autonomy that farmers that I talk to don't necessarily want to go out and fly fields all day and only get 800 acres done. And so we issued this crowdsource challenge, which brought in over 140 entries from six different continents. And those entries all submitted down to what their idea was for solving this fully autonomous drone challenge. And for some of you out there that maybe have a a hobbyist, a DGI phantom or something like that, you know, certainly those can execute an autonomous flight after you touch the button, but one of the challenges that we encourage people to come up with how to solve is continuous flight or at least continuous operation in that once you press the button go it can fly multiple fields multiple days in a row and live out in the field in some cases exchanging batteries and recharging and then moving that information up to the cloud. So we really we issued a pretty tough challenge for the industry to come back and bring us back at a fully autonomous drone that you don't have to be an expert in drones to use, nor do you have to babysit it every day.
2: I thought it was interesting that you got picked as to be the judge. It must have been down the pole a long ways on picking. What, uh, what was kind of cool, what come out of that? You know,
1: I think I was the Simon Cowell. They expected me to be the hard judging judge. No suit for you? Yeah. <laughs> so, what was kind of cool? Well, obviously, there was three types of competitors that made it into the finals. One of them was a college team from Australia and, you know, some bright men and women of the uh, University of New South Wales, Sydney. And they were all undergraduate students doing this as part of a club. And they came up with a vertical takeoff aircraft that then did forward flight. So a little bit like the Osprey helicopter that you see in the military. It was pretty cool to see them work through all the challenges of software, hardware, and you really got to see this multidisciplinary approach to solving the problem. Some people were experts in engineering from a mechanical standpoint. Some people were experts in engineering from a software standpoint. Some of them were better at interpreting what the rules of the challenge were. And it was just amazing to see their different roles that they played throughout the day as they tried to get their aircraft off the ground. And, of course, you know, some of them even had to be uh, multispectral imaging experts or GIS experts. How big of course was this? We hosted it on a a member dairy farm up in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and they had to fly three fields, uh, 70-acre fields, that were within, you know, five to ten miles of of the home base there. And, you know, it was interesting watching them try to execute the first flight. Two of the teams actually went out and and flew the, uh, the first field autonomously. But one of the teams lost radio contact with the drone and our our observers uh, there to keep us in the FAA compliance. It's a new thing. I'm trying to follow the rules. The guys with the FAA compliance, they said, look our visual observer has lost sight of it you got to bring this thing down right now because we were trying to make sure that any low-flying aircraft weren't in the in the area so that was kind of a tense moment when they said bring this thing down right now and the team had to go drive out and get in with the you know within a quarter mile for radio contract to establish control of that drone
2: my memory brings me back to a story one time when you were flying a drone and you might have lost more than one you know and the combines find them later yeah. So Humpty Dumpty can't be put back together after it goes through a chopping head.
1: Yeah. Harold, if you're out there listening, I'm still looking for that other drone that we never did find, which, you know, everybody got really upset when they when said, they, oh, geez, you guys lost the drone. I said, well, this is like the 150th time we have we lost it. This is just the first time we haven't found it. Luckily that stock stomper on the front end of that combine found it. And then the moldboard plow, when you blacken that soil up, that DGI phantom white really glows out there in the field when the drone's in pieces against black soil.
0: I have a question for both of you. Are you (coughs) seeing an increase in drone usage on the farm and over the past year?
2: (laughs) Yeah, we we have a few uh, guys out flying drones. Uh, a couple of them looking for sustainability after rainstorms or windstorms. Some guys just out messing around. They usually find light poles and, and silos and wind towers at occasion where they can't find their drones, too. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a few guys out moving them around, and and it's always interesting when the guy gets it for the first time. He's like, yep, you're ready to watch it. Yep, and it takes off, and it keeps going. <laughs> it keeps going. <laughs> Thank God that it does it when the corn is short, so we can go find it.
1: That's what I see a lot of. I see a lot of uh, hobbyists, or what you might even call prosumer, like consumers, but professional models that are out there for twelve hundred to four thousand dollars that people are out flying. But nobody's flying it at scale in a repeatable pattern. And that's when we issued this this drone challenge. We really tried to seek a fully autonomous solution. Now, as we issued this challenge, you, you think about the five levels of autonomy. Level one would be a drone some driver assistance, but the driver's still in control. And where Tesla's at right now is you can kind of hit a button and the car gets up to speed and the steering wheel actually controls itself. So they're kind of at level two right now where the driver is involved in driving, But they aren't really doing the driving. They can take over in the event of emergency. But our drone challenge actually issued a level five autonomous uh, challenge, which even, you know, the best companies in the world aren't at. And it really tried to push these teams to the edge of failure to prove that you as a producer sometime could buy one of these drones, leave it at the edge of your field, and never really think about it, but look at the information and the data that it gathers from your smartphone while you're having your cup of coffee in the morning.
2: That'd be such, a, such great insight when you get up in the morning and the drone's flown, whether it's uh, looking at temperature differences on the canopy after a, a fungicide use or maybe there's some pests out there that you're looking for or wind event came and you're in pre-harvest, right? So you can go out there and attack those fields right away. So there's a lot of different insights. So you're saying there's none of these companies or participants are going to be dropping barley pops out of the air for Super Bowl parties?
1: The, I can't imagine that air beer delivery is part of, uh, maybe it's part of a future drone challenge. I'm not sure. What was really interesting with some of the competitors is how they had to innovate not around the drone and the software of autonomous flight, but how they had to innovate around the storage container that would protect the drone from weather and then kind of emerge out of that storage container to fly. And that was that was as cool as uh, watching them try to either autonomously recharge a battery which you know you think about what if you had to autonomously plug in a lamp at home think about all the engineering that would go into just autonomously plugging in a lamp and all the fail safes that would need to go into it even some of the innovations that they had to do before they ever even flew the thing that was pretty amazing to me
0: so what do you think is the biggest hurdle facing drone adoption in agriculture
2: keeping them in the air <laughs> I don't know I think Joel alluded to earlier there's so many different prices and in different formats and shapes and sizes for all of them so I think the adoption what I see is is not necessarily people like my dad's age in that 60 years they're not flying the drones it's the kids coming back that are coming out of college and grabbing a remote and they're maybe used to playing the Atari. no that was way before their time too yeah. Xboxes. Atari. Xboxes. <laughs> we grew up on Atari so it's just a joystick but Yeah, I think the big thing is fully understanding. You can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on this stuff, but what is the capabilities and what do you want to accomplish is is what I always ask the guys.
1: Yeah, it all comes back down to cost per acre. I have yet to meet a grower who comes out and says, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to have $100 per acre worth of drone input costs. You know, what problem is it solving? And if it could bring back, you know, $100 per acre worth of ROI, that'd be great. But they're just not finding that sort of insights from what they can deliver. So they need to bring the cost down. They need to bring the scale up. And then they need to make it iPhone easy. You know, you talk about Jack not wanting to go out and fly a drone. I bet you he can use an iPhone pretty good. And, well, well I know my dad still uses a flip phone, but
2: he's got a flip phone too. Yeah. Okay. So
1: you got two flip phone users. It's going to be pretty tough to get those guys to adopt to it. But if you can make it iPhone easy, we've got a market adoption curve that we can get behind.
0: In continuous flight, that's that's huge, right? Getting the continuous flight over a large area
1: yeah you know you, you have to be able to scale these things if you're farming a thousand acres you can't be taken three days a week just to fly your drone when you're supposed to be you know, trucking corn managing the operation applying inputs spraying weeds in some cases taking care of cattle it can't occupy you know 60 percent of your week just trying to collect some information
0: can the imagery be improved or is that just pinpoint right now
1: I think actually imagery is one of the really exciting places. Certainly higher resolution gets you row-by-row accuracy that you can start to look at which row on your planner might be having a skip or a malfunction, and there's value in that. But beyond NDVI, which is what a lot of people see right now for imagery, there's opportunities beyond NDVI and other multispectral capabilities, but also beyond that into the hyperspectral capabilities. There might be some opportunity for us to be able to identify specific diseases With imagery. I think that drones are probably the most likely candidate to be able to bring that solution forward. We'll never get the resolution from a satellite that's you know flying above the earth to be able to give us that hyperspectral or that really high resolution view. Right now, our best satellites are giving us a five meter resolution view, and we can see that quite frequently, but they'll never get down to the, the three centimeter or half millimeter that it would probably take to identify an aphid, a disease, Goss's wilt, things like
2: that. I think right now the cameras are, are more advanced than the, the drones themselves, from what I see. I mean, the cameras, these are a lot of infrared, some other things to do. But just from the scouting perspective, if there's a plant or row unit issue, just on our farm this year, we had found three of them. Without my boots on the ground, I would have never found them. That's something that could easily be solved by a drone, just on the plant stands. We'd control you know, if all of a sudden automatic shutoff shuts off and you spray you got weed problems and you've sprayed it, and instead of waiting two, three weeks, you can go out and hammer it away.
0: And we do have a question from John from Minnesota. He asks Are drones something agronomists and farmers need to get on board with as soon as possible?
2: It all kind of depends on what you want to achieve on your farm. You can spend, like I alluded to earlier, you can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on stuff that isn't going to show any kind of return, right? You need bushels per acre in return. And if this technology is not going to do it for you, don't spend the money, right? So there are some retailers out there that that have drones capabilities. There are some companies out there that do a lot of this stuff. So I would tend to let them play in the sandbox right now. And if there's a crash and stuff like that, let them do it first before you jump into it.
0: You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with our host, Kyle Weiner, Master Agronomy Advisor and Joel Whipperford, the Ag Technology Applications Lead. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com.